Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBrew podcast where we break down some of the main news headlines in the financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of foreign exchange. My name is Matthew Ryan, Senior Market Analyst here at eBrew, and I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer Enrique Diaz-Alvarez and Market Analyst Roman Zaruk. So this podcast is all about the foreign exchange market. We're going to take a look at some of the main news stories in FX, discuss them, and give our view on what they might mean for currencies going forward. Okay, so we're going to start with our thoughts following last week's US presidential election. Unless you've been living under a rock for the past week, you would have seen that Democrat Joe Biden obtained enough electoral college votes in last week's presidential election in order to win the race to the White House. We said prior to the election that a delayed and contested vote was one of the big risks in the currency markets. Result was, of course, delayed with a large influx of postal votes relative to previous elections, ensuring that the outcome was not known until the weekend. Having said that, it was pretty clear fairly early on that Biden was on course for victory, given that the mayor votes were said to be mostly Democrat. Trump had actually gone favourite at one stage overnight on Wednesday after he won in some of the key swing states, notably Florida. While we did see investors flock to the safe havens at this point, these trades were quickly reversed as the Biden win became increasingly clear. And as of the end of trading on Friday last week, the dollar was down around about 2% for the week in trade-weighted terms. So what are your guys' general thoughts following the election and what do you expect next? Do you think we'll see any reaction in the markets at all to a Trump legal challenge? Uh, no, I think that the markets have been quite skeptical that the, the Trump legal challenge amounts to anything. I mean, uh, from a legal perspective, it's, it's, uh, the, the, there's essentially zero chance that uh, that any that the recounts on any any finding of fraud would overturn what are pretty significant leads in in the key states. I mean, the six states, um, the last six states that were called, the last six swing states that we called. Uh, for Trump to overturn the result of the election, he would have to overturn the results in at least three of them. And the chances are that he, that any recount or any any uh, legal challenge will fail to turn even a single one of them. So I think that markets have been pretty blasé about uh, about Trump's uh, what what amounts to a Trump tantrum. Yeah, I generally agree. Uh, although I was uh, also would want to add that if we look at betting markets, uh, there has been some action there. So, uh, looking at the November seven unpredicted, uh, the probability uh, of Biden's uh, winning the election was at around ninety two percent. If we adjusted for one hundred percent, and uh, in November eleventh, it was eighty four percent. So generally, uh, this uh, legal challenge by Trump uh, has probably was the case uh, why uh, this shifted. But I don't think that it had uh, any significant effect on the currency market, nor do I think that the challenge will actually uh, enable Trump to win the presidency. Uh, I think that the chances are extremely slim and that the market is basically starting to focus on other news at the moment. And uh, mostly on the pandemic, uh, especially since the situation in the U.S. is deteriorating so rapidly right now. Yeah, um, I would say that uh, probably Betfair is a better uh, place to follow the betting market's view on the on the presidential election because predicted, and I know this because I, I have an account that predicted. Predicted has pretty strict limits on position size, so. As a market, especially in once the, once uh, it gets close to ninety percent likelihood of one event or another, as a market tends to perform not great. Uh, it is true that even even in 
in Betfair, this uh, Donald Trump still has an eight percent chance. Is given an eight percent chance or so to to be the next president. I, I think that that's that's frankly a mispricing, and that's the way markets see. I'm not seeing any sense that the financial markets are uh, in any way concerned with uh, Joe Biden not being the next president of the United States. Yeah, I, I'd completely agree with that. I think that eight percent you mentioned is, is a bit too high. I think had the result been sort of razor thin, if we had seen Biden attain, attain say two seventy, two seventy one electoral college votes with a a handful of those swing states showing a near dead heat and I think the prospect of a Trump legal challenge would be met by some market jitters we would have seen a bit more support for the safe havens for instance than what we've seen we'd have seen less for rally and risk assets um, but you know as it turns out I think the margin of victory looks likely to be pretty comfortable particularly given Biden's win in Pennsylvania so I think the market now probably largely brush aside uh, any legal challenge from Trump. I certainly don't expect to see any significant reaction to this uh, in the next few days. Anyway, what do you, what do you guys think of uh, Biden's policy going forward? What kind of impact do you think they'll have uh, on the currency markets? Um, I think that we, you know, that uh, the markets are following pretty close to the script that we laid out in our, in our scenarios, I mean, that, that we have a split government and the Democrats are quite unlikely to recover the Senate. Um, even if they do, the, the, the majority would be at least by, on one senator. It's uh, very unlikely that major uh, legislation will get passed uh, next year, uh, given the politicization and the partisanship in U.S. politics. So we have a situation in which uh, the trade conflict will probably ease dramatically. Uh, the concerns about the U.S. tearing up alliances um, will diminish uh, sharply, and uh, it's we're unlikely to see anything major, uh, any any f- major fiscal package out of the U.S. Especially if you see that the the, the this this in contrast with the pandemic, with the with the epidemiological data, the economic data seems to be coming out okay. I mean, the, the payrolls report last week went almost unreported. But uh, it was quite better, quite a bit better than expected. And in those conditions, we're not going to see uh, much of a stimulus, which uh, which means that uh, the initial market reaction uh, was was more or less what we expected—a slight sell-off in the uh, a modest sell-off in the dollar that has now stabilized and uh, modest rally in the market until we we got this great news about the vaccine. So now it's it's hard to disentangle the effects of the vaccine news from the election news in the in the equity markets. Yeah, I generally think that the Biden win is a clear positive for risk assets, based especially on the fact that uh, his administration will likely bring more more calm, more calmness. So generally, we'll probably not see uh, as many uh, of the key people in the U.S. being replaced uh, ad hoc. Uh, as we did with the Trump administration, which was really unprecedented and also brought some level of the uncertainty and some risk to this administration. Uh, So I think that this will be a positive. But also, uh, generally, I think that there is a sense that the relationship with the EU and the relationship with China will likely improve because of that. And the trade war will probably be one of the key topics uh, in late 2021 when the pandemic dust settles. Uh, and generally, I would say that this is a, a clear positive based on this uh, future relationship between the U.S. and other countries, and also because this might bring some calmness uh, to the U.S. White House. Yeah, I think, I think it's worth noting, 
And we'll find out who controls the Senate following the runoff elections in Georgia at the beginning of January. Um, but it does look like a bit of a tall order um, for the Democrats to obtain this sort of this blue wave that we talk about. And they'll need to obtain both those seats. And that looks quite difficult at the moment. Uh, I certainly don't think we'll get a massive fiscal stimulus package that some of the market had hoped for should Congress be split, which looks quite likely. Um, particularly given that you mentioned, Enrique, the improvement that we've seen in US data, the restrictions on the US have been relatively limited relative to, say, Europe. Um, so I think this lack of a, of a big fiscal stimulus program that could uh, potentially prevent a more meaningful move in risk assets um, as we go forward in the coming months. Okay, so I think we'll move on to our second uh, topic today, and we're going to talk about um, news that's been dominating the market in the last few days, and that is, uh, of course, the COVID pandemic and the news of progress towards a potential vaccine. Over the past few weeks, the virus situation in Europe has continued to deteriorate. We're seeing record high numbers of new infection across the continent. Fresh restrictions and fresh lockdowns have been imposed in the likes of France, Germany and the UK, for instance. Investors are therefore beginning to fret about the euro area economy, which looks set to contract again in the fourth quarter. We've already seen signs of a slowdown in the latest confident indices for this month. And as a result, the market is now heavily pricing in extra stimulus from the European Central Bank when it meets in December. So while this has prevented a bit of a down, uh, presented a bit of a downside risk to markets, we have at least other news we've mentioned from uh, Pfizer. That its vaccine, which is in the final stages of testing, is effective in over 90% of instances. So this has provided a bit of a boost to risk appetite um, with higher risk currencies, particularly those emerging market ones rallying quite sharply on uh, Monday's news. So over to you both first. What do you make of the market reaction to the pandemic situation in Europe? And then, of course, the market reaction to the vaccine news. Uh, I mean, the the news are undoubtedly good. Um, I think that um, our our call has always been that uh, we would get some sort of vaccine available from the first quarter, uh, sometime in the spring, maybe if we're lucky in, in the, late in the first quarter of 2021, it looks like uh, this news supports a narrative. And, and so uh, I think that uh, the, the reaction in the equity markets is, is, is understandable. Um, the, how the, re, the currency markets have not reacted nearly as strongly as equity markets. I think that um, emerging market currencies uh, had a modestly positive reaction, but could react much uh, much strongly. Because if we go back to anything like a, like a situation of economic normality, with the current uh, uh, policy settings, fiscal and monetary in, in G10 countries, I think this is going to be a huge boost for EM currencies. Yeah, generally when it comes to the vaccine, uh, interesting thing is that this is this is without a doubt the most positive news that we had so far on the vaccine front. And this is probably not the only news that we are going to get in the next few weeks. Uh, recently, uh, there has been talk that another company which is working on the vaccine and also uh, currently conducting trials, Moderna, uh, will also uh, bring uh, the results of those tests. And the U.S. Uh, epidemic epidemic expert uh, Fauci said that he expects that it should be similarly effective as this uh, Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. So uh, this actually is quite optimistic, uh, I think, but uh, because uh, earlier... 
many uh, participants believed that the vaccine, which would be at around 60 or 70 percent effective, would be a success. But uh, we are awaiting those news, and I think that the markets are positioning for a vaccine which will be ready at around the end of the year and which could start being administered uh, maybe on a uh, larger scale in uh, in the first or the second quarter uh, of, uh, or rather the second quarter of the 2021, which is definitely a positive. Uh, but there are some struggles in this process. Uh, so for, in, for, for once, the, the one vaccine is not enough. So we need more vaccines. Uh, even uh, because of the uh, technological limitations with the capacity of production. Uh, then there is also uh, the, the fact that the whole period between the moment that the, uh, the results uh, of the tests uh, that we, we receive and the, the actual acceptance uh, by the uh, Food and Drugs Administration in the US and other authorities around the world. So uh, this also will take time. Then uh, we also need to have some product production capacity uh, to, to actually um, have the vaccine administered, administered to a, a larger number of people. So uh, this process will uh, likely drag on for, for months and the actual vaccine uh, will, will be uh, probably in use uh, only in the second quarter of 2021. Uh, but generally, I think that the markets are quite optimistic. We saw a pretty uh, interesting divergence in the market's reaction when we look at not only the equity and the currency market, as you mentioned, Luke, but also if we look at the equity markets around the world. So uh, the European equity markets have reacted uh, significantly uh, in a more positive manner than the US equity markets. And this probably has something to do with the structure of the market, of the market indices, which in the US are a little bit more uh, technology overweight than in, uh, in the European Union, because there's, there's a, not as many uh, technological companies, big te technology companies in, uh, on our side of the Atlantic. Uh, so that's why the U.S. Uh, market probably reacted in, in a not as positive way as the European market. But also the, the pandemic situation in Europe and the U.S. I think right now is shifting. So we are seeing record numbers uh, of the new coronavirus cases being registered in the U.S. Currently it's around 140,000 per day, which is around uh, twice as much as we had during the previous peak in July. And uh, when it comes to uh, Europe, we are starting to seeing, or at least I'm starting to seeing some positive signs in particular countries. Uh, so for instance, the, the, the countries that have been the most affected, so the, the countries in Eastern Europe, especially Czech Republic, uh, at the end of October, uh, they have seen a, a, a decline in the number of uh, new coronavirus cases, uh, especially, and if we are looking at the seven-day average, uh, this has continued in the previous week and this is continuing right now. So uh, this gives me some optimism that actually uh, we might be seeing some flattening of the pandemic curve uh, in Europe uh, in, the, in the next few weeks. And this is not only the Czech Republic, uh, but also some other countries have also uh, shown maybe not declines, but also that the number of new cases is not rising as rapidly or, or the curve is actually flattening. So I'm quite optimistic on that front, but the US uh, right now sees a significant rise. So this can also uh, kind of, uh, um, we, we can, uh, we can see why the difference in uh, we can attribute the difference in the stock market to it to a certain extent. Yeah, no, no, for me, for me, I mean, news regarding the vaccine to COVID will probably be the most important thing for markets in the next sort of three or four months or so. Well, you said a lot of hurdles to overcome. It doesn't get rid of the problem entirely, and certainly not over, overnight. 
it will at least be the main weapon in restoring some sense of normality back to both lives and the world economy. And you mentioned, Roman, the good news here is that there's a lot of other potential vaccines um, that could yield positive results in the next few weeks. So for me, for this reason, I think the fact that both news of a vaccine and the major developed nations seem to be becoming more competent in managing control of the virus means I think the markets should become slightly more optimistic regarding the pandemic as we enter uh, into 2021. Okay, so I think we'll finish off with our final topic, uh, and that's our spotlight currency for the week, which this week is a Turkish lira. It's one of the currencies that's been featured quite prominently in the news in the past few days. And for those of you that keep up to date with what's going on in the emerging market FX world, we'll know that the lira has been one of the worst performing currencies in the world since the onset of the pandemic. Currency was down around about 30% year-to-date versus the dollar at one stage, falling in excess of 8.5 to the USD, which was yet another record low. The currency has continued to sell off even when many of its emerging market counterparts have rebounded against the dollar. We have, however, seen a sharp rebound in the lira in the past couple of days, this is largely following uh, news of a reshuffle at Turkey's central bank, an apparent policy U-turn from President Erdogan that has caused the market to start pricing in aggressive interest rate hikes from the central bank when it next meets uh, next week. Uh, so the question to both of you, what do you make of this recent uh, recovery in the lira, and do you think this rebound can be sustained? Uh, well, first of all, it's very good news that Erdogan has abandoned the absolutely bizarre uh, economic framework that he forced the country to adopt. I mean, he, the idea was that what high interest rates were the cost of what were the cost of high inflation, uh, when rather than the the other way around. So that said, um, I think that a lot of damage has been done. Uh, most of the Turkish reserves. Uh, uh, currency reserves have been have been spent in trying to prop up uh, the the currency uh, to, to no effect, and this is going to be. I mean, given the continued high exposure of the of the country's corporations and banks to uh, to hard currency debts, um, and the absence of FX reserves, I think that uh, the the positive reaction in, in Turkish assets and the Turkish leader in particular may be excessive. I mean, we've had a rally of what, about 15% in the last, in this week. Uh, and I think that at this levels, the, uh, the good news in the return to, to sanity of Turkish polit- and monetary policy may be already fully priced in. And I'm not, I'm not sure there's a lot of room for the leader to rally from here. Generally, when it comes to Turkish lira, I think that uh, right now we are seeing something that we haven't seen in the past uh, two years or so. So this is a, a very dramatic shift that we are observing. The lira has appreciated by 10% so far this week. So it's uh, it's really a massive move, even for, for a currency such volatile uh, as, as the Turkish lira. But uh, I think that uh, the question that we are going to have in the next few days with whether the markets are not going ahead of themselves are not getting ahead of themselves because, uh, well, for once, uh, the central bank issue, so the fact that the uh, Turkish uh, interest rates are 
artificially low uh, is only one of the issues that the country has and this uh, this will certainly help the lira if the central bank decides to uh, increase them during their meeting uh, which takes place seven days from now but uh, generally this will only solve a part of the problem and then we would also need to see uh, how this uh, fundamental situation in turkey develops because what we have seen uh, in the past uh, few months has been a deterioration in the current account in Turkey, and it's quite likely that we'll end the year with a uh, current account deficit of around 4-5% or even somewhat uh, higher, which is a lot for an emerging market country, even for an emerging market country. Also, Turkey has a, a significant amount of short-term uh, debt, which is external, which also is a problem, especially considering low foreign exchange reserves. And those reserves that we are seeing are not uh, actually looking at them can be somewhat misleading because uh, Central Bank has uh, already used a, uh, a significant uh, amount of the reserves uh, to conduct transactions with the state banks. Yeah. And uh, if we are looking at the net reserves, so after subtracting all of those uh, drugs uh, on, on the reserves, they actually would be negative. So depending on, uh, depending on what would qualify as, as the drug, uh, they would be either extremely low or, or negative at this point. But generally, so the situation is uh, really quite hard and we would probably need to see not only the interest rate hikes, but general improvements in fundamentals for the lira to appreciate significantly. And also, uh, Erdogan is a leader that, who uh, changes his mind a lot. Uh, so I, we, we would likely uh, need to see whether uh, this current change that he has undertaken uh, can be sustained and whether in a month or two we are not going to see uh, him uh, again uh, praising uh, low interest rates and uh, maybe also uh, suggesting some other un unorthodox measures. Plus, with Turkey, there's also a uh, fact that uh, the country has become more and more engaged in military conflicts uh, in the region, uh, which also, I think, provided some drag on the currency. Uh, right now, there is uh, one positive that the Artsakh conflict uh, has been uh, ended with the peace deal. Uh, between Azerbaijan and Armenia, but generally uh, this is not the only conflict that Turkey is engaged in, and we will probably uh, might still see some headlines on, on the uh, further developments on this uh, Turkish military presence in the region, which might affect the lira. So uh, I think that there are just a lot of factors and the situation is uncertain, but uh, what I would want to see is for this current change in uh, Erdogan's rhetoric and uh, monetary policy, if actually they are going to high rates next week, uh, if it's going to stick. Yeah, I think we're, we're all largely on the same page, it sounds like. And I'm still much more optimistic about the Lira than I was just a few days ago. Obviously, Erdogan has long presented a downside risk to the currency by seemingly turning a bit of a blind eye to macroeconomic principles, stating that high interest rates lead to high inflation, which makes the news that we had on Wednesday very significant, effectively a complete 180 turnaround on policy towards a more orthodox framework where, whereby the central bank will raise rates in order to bring down inflation and support the currency. Uh, having said that, I still think we need to get some pretty drastic action from the central bank next week. We look at September, the central bank hiked rates by 200 basis points and the lira continued to sell off in the weeks after. So we likely need to get a rate hike much greater than this in order to support the currency more longer term. And then, of course, as you both mentioned, there are still plenty of issues that remain for the currency. Very low FX reserves we talked about. 
balance of payments crisis, high external debt, a lot of it which is dominated in foreign currency. So by a weaker lira would make this debt much more difficult to repay. So, so still plenty of room for, for pessimism, I think. Um, but I think this week's news certainly supports the lira, may mean that it could potentially have bottomed out, at least for the time being anyway. And that just about does it from us. If you're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the currency markets, visit Ebury's website or follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favourite podcast app and let us know if there are any topics you would like to hear more on during upcoming podcasts. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a week's time. Thank you all very much for listening.